the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 164. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now on to the show. Hello, Unruffleds. This is Sandra again. We are right smack in the middle of the million days of May, and I'm sure you all are all feeling it. Um, I am. But I hope that this podcast and my author series is bringing you a little bit of relief, maybe some joy. Maybe I'm turning you on to some authors and books that you do not know about. And that thrills me to no end. Um, Again, today is no exception. Today I have on the podcast, Emily Lynn Paulson. And let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a writer, speaker, recovery coach, and author of Highlight Reel, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. She is passionate about connecting women with resources for recovery from trauma, eating disorders, and substance abuse, and believes that sharing our truth with each other is the best resource of all. Emily lives in Seattle with her husband and her and their five children. You can, we're going to talk about her book, Highlight Reel, and um, she can be found on the internet at www.highlightreallife, and that's R-E-A-L, life.com. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about your book, which I just completely um, tore right through. Uh, So normally we start the show by asking our guests how they came to recovery or how they came to the decision to quit drinking. Now, read her book because she tells like the (laughs) whole story (laughs) and it's so good. Um, So why don't you, not to be jokey, (laughs) but why don't you give us the (laughs) highlights of that? Why don't you tell us um, what it was like for you in in your drinking and how you came to that last day? 
Sure. So my last drink was New Year's Eve 2016. So I've been sober about three and a half years. And sometimes it feels like I've been sober forever. Sometimes it feels like I've been sober for a couple of days. Uh And, you know, what I like, I always like to say when, when I say my sober time is, I remember listening to podcasts in the beginning, listening to, you know, all the quitlet, everything I read and listened to thinking, oh my gosh, how I would have been thinking three years, like that's so long, four years, that's so long. And I can tell you that I quit, as you know, reading the book, I quit a lot of times, like a week at a time. Uh, five times during five pregnancies for nine months at a time, you know, so what I always say, like, I had so many day ones. And that's just the one that's, you know, that that's my forever date. And I still do it one day at a time, mm. every day. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I agree. And you're in 12 step as well. So that um, yes. that's what that's what we are encouraged. That's how we're encouraged to look at our sobriety. Um, you know, I know for me, I, I did the same thing, started, stopped, you know, I woke up so many mornings saying never again. Um, the day that I, my last day one, um, I, I woke up with a, with a, the thought that I wanted to quit for a hundred days. And, um, I wrote that in my journal. Like if I, you know, Sandra, you can, you're a grown ass woman. You can do anything for a hundred days. And uh, if you get to the end of the hundred days and you're still miserable, then guess what? You can drink again, but this is the one thing you've never tried before. And for whatever reason that, that worked for me. And, um, but then I also know that, you know, I'm, I'm just as close to a drink sometimes than I, you know, as I was at the very, very beginning. So, yeah, I think that that's, um, I'm really future focused too. So Mm -hmm. I I think sometimes that's helpful for people to like, but I know that thinking about forever is, can be disheartening, feels too overwhelming. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, I know for me, it was always the next thing. Like I knew, okay. I know I got it. I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I know I've got to stop doing this, but I've got this thing coming up. I've got this party coming up. I've got this trip coming up. There, there would have always been something else. So yeah, that future focus is good when you like have a positive goal, but it can also bite you in the ass when you're like, you, you know, you're holding on for that future date. And and at some point, it has to be enough to be like, okay, it's not worth it. Like the turmoil that's going to happen between now and between now and that that trip or whatever I'm holding out for is is going to be way worse than than any benefit I get from holding out another day. Absolutely. Now, did you assume that as you matured, that your relationship to alcohol would would mature? Because I know that I assumed that, and that just never happened. Oh, for sure. And every time I stopped, I assumed that it would like fix me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I would, I, oh, I've been detoxed. Uh, you know, it's out of my system. I'm good now. I can start now. And that's something I hear all the time from people. Like, if I quit for three months, do you think then I can go back to it? Um, and that's constantly what I thought. Like, oh, well, I'm good now. I can go back to it now. And it was always just as bad or worse as it was before. Um, I, I guess I thought that you know, my, my drinking always matched the people around me. And, mm-hmm. and it was once it didn't, <laughs> once I, once I was an adult, 
and my drinking was sloppier than some of the people around me. That, that was kind of the point where I'm like, oh my God, like this isn't something you outgrow. This isn't something about willpower and responsibility. Like this is something that this is my thing. I got to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes too, I like, I didn't even, I couldn't even see often that my behavior or my consequences were way worse than, than say my peer group until it was like hindsight, like in the past already. Like when I was in it, I thought we were all, the, all, all, all of our behaviors were matching. And until I got sober and I looked back, it was like, oh, wait, you know, I, 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 I was more miserable or I took it to a different place oftentimes than, than a lot of my friends and people that I partied with. Oh, for sure. And, and I think surrounding yourself with people who are super supportive and super loving also can sometimes be detrimental when you are struggling um, and not showing them how badly you're struggling. Uh, Like when I got a DUI, um, you know, well-meaning friends would tell me like, oh gosh, you know, it could have happened to me. I've been behind the wheel drunk before, but the thing is it didn't happen to them. Right. (laughs) So, so people who would maybe try and make me feel better about my behavior that was worse, um, actually just made me feel like, okay, well, I guess it's all right. Right. They give you the hall pass. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just trying to be, yeah, compassionate, empathetic friends, but you're right. It becomes sometimes a bit of enabling too. If you don't have that friend or the doctor or the spouse that's going to sit you down and you, you know, kind of mirror back to you what reality is. Right. And especially when you're not showing them reality. I mean, that's the heart of the matter. My friends might have seen me drink a little bit more than usual, but they also didn't know I was drinking before I left and before when I when I got home. Right. And my doctor didn't know, you know, they knew that I was drinking what I told them I was drinking. I, I was never honest about how much I was drinking. And so people can only confront you to a level that you're willing to be honest. And I was never willing to be honest about my drinking. Right. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because your story contains, I think, a lot of elements that, that you know, many women share. I know for a fact that, you know, many of our listeners share a lot of the things that happen to you, like sexual assault and disordered eating, blackouts, you know, infidelity, you had outward consequences. Um, but you start your book with a story about lying. And I thought that was so, such a great way to start the book, you know, and it was specifically about how you made up stories to friends at a really early age. What do you, I mean, what do you think about that now? Like, what do you think makes a child? lie or do you have any theories about that based on yeah. I don't know your years of therapy or <laughs> yeah and healing I mean, you've I done can, yeah like you said earlier you know you can look back and see things so much differently and and I do think I, I just didn't have a very strong sense of self and I don't have anywhere to put that on like I don't have a, a blame place for that at all you know it's like whether I was born that way or whether I learned it who knows um, but I I really had a very I had a very strong belief that I needed to absorb my sense of self from the people around me and, and to fit in and to feel accepted and to feel loved. And, and really the, the idea behind honesty really comes down to control, controlling that narrative of what people think of you, how they see you, you know, this idea of being a good girl or 
um, or a good friend or um, cool or, or whatever the situation may deem appropriate at the time. Um, but, but I would find myself very automatically going to the place where I was being dishonest. Um, and, and that's still, honestly, to this day, I, I, I work on that all of the time, um, trying not to protect other people or make other people feel better through dishonesty. Um, and I think it's something that we as women maybe have learned to do, um, to be kind, to be nice and to not hurt people's feelings. You know, it's, it's automatic to me instead of telling the teacher, you know what, my kid didn't do his homework because we were getting in a fight. It's so much easier for me to say like, oh, he wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. Somehow that those little itty bitty, just, you know, half truths just would just eat away um, at my spirit. And then they started to become more automatic. So when I was little, it, it really was a matter of trying to fit in with my friends, trying to belong. And um, like I described in the book, I was, I was quite a bit younger than my peers. So I was immature. And I think that had a lot to do with it. So no matter what situation I was in, whatever I was doing, I was automatically with people who were older than me, physically, you know, emotionally, in, in every way, more mature than I was. And, and so, so doing these things that I was pretending that I was dishonestly presenting myself for that I wasn't ready for, um, you know, really was, was the root of, of, of why I turned to substances. Right, right. It's the people pleasing and the shape shifting and which all, you know, leads to a, a healthy codependency issue, I guess you can mm-hmm. call it. And, you know, we all suffer from that to a certain degree, I think, especially women. It's just a huge mm-hmm. part of of every woman I know, you know, it's a huge part of their story. Um, how how are you healing from codependency or, or do you have some, some tools to share best practices? What, what do you do to, to work on that? You know, honesty has been the key for me and in, in a lot of these, a lot of what I suffered from um, because, you know, I, I was afraid of, of reactions from people. I was afraid of fallout. I was afraid of relationships going to the wayside. Um, I was afraid of showing up as myself. And, and I think since I have been just brutally honest about myself, my life, my history, my past, in my relationships, it has shown me, um, it, it's really been, I've been walking the walk, it has shown me that, it, that I am capable, that I am good enough as I am, flawed and imperfect in every way. Um, and, and also, I've been able to surround myself with people and, and have people surround me who also feel the same way. Um, you know, it's, it's, an odd, it's an odd feeling when you have spent your life covering up shame and secrets. And then when you spill them all out, <laughs> finding mm-hmm. camaraderie around that, it's, um, it's extremely freeing from a, just emotionally, mentally, um, so many ways. Mm, yeah, I say that. We say that all the time that, yeah, honesty is the antidote to almost everything. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. I think it's essential um, to healing from any kind of, of, of trauma or response to trauma, um, you know, that we have because, you know, terrible things happen to all of us. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not our fault. Right. But right. it's, you know, how we respond to that in adulthood. That's our responsibility. Yep. That's right. It's our responsibility to figure it out, whether it was our fault or not. Right. Right. I know. And then, you know, but when we were drinking, right, like you, you know, there was so, so much at stake. I mean, you know, you have five kids. I have children as well. And I drink through, you know, their early lives. But then we just keep pushing that line back, that line that we say we'll never cross. Um, we just keep pushing it out farther and farther um, because we we have no, we've lost all sense of, of honesty. I think that's right. exactly what it is. We don't want to look at the truth. Yeah, and when you make rules and break them all the time, you don't have a reason to trust yourself. Yes, right, right. And then you become... Uh, you don't have a reason to trust yourself. You, yeah, you give up on yourself and then you even become, it's like the con you become immune to the consequences mm-hmm. too. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, and then, you know, when you do get sober, you look at your, and you know, you are that same person, <laughs> mm-hmm. but sometimes it just can look like there's just two, you're just two different people. Yeah, that's one thing that's hard, too, is, um, you know, when people do say, like, oh, gosh, you've come so far, or, well, you've changed so much, or you, um, you know, where it's like this transformation, and and having to remind myself and other people, like, you know, the broken person, the fixed person, like, that's not how it is. This is all me. All of those versions of who I was, you know, the dishonesty, the honesty, the sobriety, the, the drunk, like, all of those things are me as a human being. And, and just letting go of the shame of that. Like, I know what I know. I've learned what I learned, but that's all me. And even though I can look back and not understand what the hell I was thinking sometimes, mm-hmm. um, I can still accept that, you know, I'm human and I'm flawed and, and I was doing the best with what I knew at the time. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then by sharing your story, you possibly help somebody else, some other woman that's, yeah, have, you know, overcome with those, those same feelings. Um, let's talk about, uh, motherhood and, and drinking. You know, I think that, I mean, you know, the, the list of why mothers drink is very long. You know, there's, you talk about perfectionism a lot and then that projected image, whether it's on social media or usually that's where it is now on social media, um, or to deal with, you know, the anxiety or the repetitiveness and the mundaneness of parenthood. Um, I think for me, a lot of it was to hang on to an identity, you know, that, that, that was separate from being a mother. You know, I still wanted to claim, you know, what was mine, even though it recalled this, you know, reckless kind of party girl image, but I so desperately needed to hang on to that because that was mine Mm -hmm. and it was separate from being a mother. Um, What do you, what are your thoughts about, about motherhood and drinking? I mean, I know you have lots, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying about that. It's, it's, it takes me back to that place where I, I remember 
healing, like, okay, I'm done having kids. Now what? Like, I've got my body back. I've got, I, I still, gosh, is this it? You know, I, I have to escape. I have to reclaim, you know, my, my youth. And I'm only going to look like this for so long. Mm-hmm. And I'm only going to feel this free for so long. And, and, and kind of reclaiming maybe something that I never felt like I, I had to begin with, you know, being a mom so young, um, getting married young and, and having all these kids and then being like, oh no, I, you know, I, I don't want this to be it. You know, I really remember feeling that and really that sense of escape um, was, was at the core of it for me, that feeling that I would get when I was, could drink. And that's, that was really, I felt like my only escape, of course, it created more problems and more trauma on top of everything. But, but at the time, I really felt like it was the duct tape holding everything together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. And right, like when you were talking about, you know, drinking and doing homework and drinking and giving, mm-hmm. them, the, giving them a bath, you know, it just made it kind of like, it kind of rubbed the edges off of everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. but then, and, you know, like I get, you know, I think Brene Brown said it first, you can't selectively numb things when you, you numb the hard stuff and the pain, you're also numbing the joy or even yes. the potential for joy. Yeah. And that was what I didn't realize I was doing, um, you know, taking the edge off. Well, what if you like your edges? What if the edges are right. good? How do you know? And I was missing out. And that's something I didn't realize until probably six months after I stopped drinking, once everything kind of sort of settled a little bit and, you know, the, the novelty wore off and people, that point where people are like, oh, you're still doing that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I started realizing like, oh, I'm sitting down on a Friday night watching a movie with my kids. and this is enjoyable. Like this, this is sweet of like, listen to the way he said that. That was so cute. Oh, look at the way she holds her crackers. The littlest thing. It was then that I really realized how much I was numbing out, how much I was missing. Even them reading books at night. Just, I, yeah, I was, I was numbing out whatever anxiety I had for the 20 minutes that that lasted, but I was numbing out so much of the joy, so much. Right. I remember, I will never forget this. I, um, I had the last, like, I guess three years of my drinking, I decided I was going to go back and get a bartending job. (laughs) Oh God. Because because I had bartended once in my youth and my friend, you know, actually not once I had bartended many years in my youth and I had a, a friend's boyfriend was opening a wine bar and that sounded just, you know, very high class. And I was going to go, I'm going to go sell, you know, talk to patrons about wine and, and it just sounded so classy, just right? super yeah. classy. And, you know, that's how I was going to spend my Friday nights. And, uh, you know, of course we all know, <laughs> we all know how that looked actually looked. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I don't even have to go into details about that, (laughs) but what was happening on Friday nights then that I would miss out on that whole three years that I was doing that was, um, my, my husband created this like little Friday night 
thing tradition that became like a little tradition where he would take take the kids to have yogurt on Friday nights. And I miss, I miss the yogurt Friday nights every Friday. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd hear about, hear about it the next morning when I could barely like open my glued eyeballs. My head was pounding. I'd hear about the, hear about yogurt night. And I'll never forget when I was just a couple of weeks sober and I quit that job and I, um, you know, went and had yogurt with my family and it was just, like it was more than just, you know, a cup of yogurt. It was yeah. so profound to me just sitting there thinking, I have missed out on this. I've missed this, this three yeah. years of, of Friday night yogurt night I've missed. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so being a mom in recovery and you know, you, you, you wrote a lot about your lack of like a lot of honest discourse with your own parents. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you talk about like how you're doing that differently or if you intend to do that differently? Cause I know your kids are still pretty young and I guess, mm-hmm. you know, like specifically about honesty or, or around drugs or alcohol, how are you, how are, how are you committed to doing that differently? You know, I think one thing that's different about when I was growing up is there wasn't a lot of awareness or education, right? right. Like my, my parents didn't really know much about eating disorders. They didn't know about mental illness. They didn't, it just wasn't out there. And, mm. and so I think we're benefiting from the education just as a, a population of human beings, but also having been through it, you know, I know that the lack of transparency uh, didn't help me. And so um, and I also know that my kids saw things that I didn't think they were seeing that they were seeing uh, when I got my DUI and you know, they had, I had a breathalyzer in the car and we started having a conversation and my oldest was only 10 at the time and, uh, and, and realizing the questions he was asking and realizing that I wasn't hiding it. <laughs> and, and so I knew at that point going forward that I had to be more transparent about it and so my kids know that I used to drink and I don't anymore, that it caused a lot of problems. Um, they know that my husband and I do marriage counseling. And especially now that we're in the quarantine where everything's at home, like there's nowhere, there's no secrets right now. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. nowhere to hide. And, and so they know Monday mornings at nine, we are in the office, daddy and mommy are in the office and we're doing our, our marriage counseling and not because anything's wrong, but so that there isn't, so, so that these you know, we're, we're vaccinating our marriage again, right. problems. like we're keeping our marriage healthy. Um, you know, I will share my, uh, my 13 year old daughter has had some, um, you know, anxiety, depression, and, um, you know, we're very open about what I've been through. Um, we are very open about seeking help, asking questions. You know, we, we have very open, honest dialogue, um, in our family about it because, because my experience of having it the opposite way, I know didn't help. And who knows, maybe it will look back and my kids will be like, shit, my parents talked about way too much stuff. Right. Like they were way <laughs> too open. And, you know, maybe they'll do things differently too. But, but I know for us, this is, this is working now. And, and ultimately, I know my kids have to make their own decisions. And, you know, my oldest is 15 and a half. And, you know, he's going to be dealing with things. And, and I just know that at least he's equipped with all the information and knows that he has seen the other side. He has seen, yes, alcohol can be fun, but he also knows that it almost killed his mom. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And so I think it's just important to be aware of that and, and be open to the conversation and the questions and just kind of notice what's going on and, and, um, you know, just be there. And, and it's, it's hard, <laughs> I will say, like, I think for any parent who's been through addiction or any sort of trauma, it's hard knowing what you went through as a kid, having a kid that age. And I, and I think that's when things started to really come up for me is when I started, when my kids started to get older and I realized, oh my gosh, this was the age when I, you know, dot, 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 right? You realize, mm-hmm. gosh, I can remember being that age. And, and it's hard to kind of let go and say, they're going to have to deal with those things, but how can I present them in the best way? How can I talk about them? How can I keep that open communication as best as I can? Right. Yeah. We talk a lot about, we use the phrase a lot, modeling the solution. And, you know, for me, that means that just showing my kids that there's always a way out, you know, there's always a solution. So no matter if they get themselves into some trouble or they feel like, you know, things are hopeless or they feel like that they feel shame around something or it's like the worst thing ever, that there's always a solution. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I can only hope that I show them that by how I, how I live my life and by being transparent about, you know, what happened to me when I was drinking and how I could actually, you know, change my life that we can, you know, that's always an option. Right. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So why did you decide to write a book? What is, where, how did, how did that come about? I'd like to talk about that a little bit. So when I made the decision to get sober, you know, my first, um, I I had a friend who was an AA. I reached out to her. I'm like, take me to your meeting, whatever the hell you're doing on Friday nights. And so I got to figure this shit out. And so Mm -hmm. I went with her and, and it really, that was my, my experience was I, I just opened the floodgates. Like I just, I just was able to say everything that was on my heart, in my head, all of these things that I had held for so long. And then hearing all those stories reflected back to me was so healing. And, you know, I started seeing a therapist and, and granted I had been seeing a therapist, but was never honest with the therapist really throughout my whole life. There was always something I was withholding. And, and so I started actually sharing everything with a therapist, you know, working, I did EMDR, I did all these things and I started journaling. And, and I've always been the person who who's worked my, my feelings out writing or writing an email. Like I was the, the person who would write the strongly worded email and then never send it because then I feel better. <laughs> like, okay, I feel better now. I don't need to send that. And so it was a very like natural process for me to just start writing and, and something that my therapist encouraged me to do as things started to come up. Right. Cause of course, never about the drinking. It's about why you were drinking. And right. It's the concept. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And so as soon as I would uncover one thing that would lead to another thing that would lead to another thing, I would just work through it through writing. And then I was reading, I was reading all the quit lit, all of the memoirs, everything that was out there. And so it was kind of twofold. It was me writing, writing, writing until I had, you know, with two years of writing, basically what ended up being the, the story of my life. You know, I, I, what I thought would just be, okay, this is how mom gets sober it turned into, uh, you know, like you read, everything since I was eight years old. 
And, and so reading, reading other books and then writing, I, I just came to this place where I was like, I want something out there that I would have wanted to read when I was going through it. So that was really the start of it. It's like, I have all of this information. There's got to be someone else out there like me. There, there's got to be. And um, that's really when I started the process of saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to put it into a book. Mm, I love that. And it, did you work with Anna David on this? Yes, I yeah. did. Yes. Yeah, I met Anna a couple of years ago at the She Recovers event in LA. She's, she's great. Yeah, yeah. It's been great working with her. Yeah, well, okay. So this question is absolutely sexist because men never get asked this question, but <laughs> we're talking real life and our audience is mostly women, mostly who, and many who are moms. So how do you write a book when you have five kids? In little bits of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's even right now, like, I mean, I've got them all home, but like I've got my office door locked, I've got my AirPods, you know, it's all little bits of time. And even if it was 10 minutes, five minutes, I would, sometimes I would voice message myself um, in the car. Mm, I uh, love I that. Put on, yeah. Like the talk to text, just in a word document. And so it was honestly this like chronological stream of consciousness randomly in different fonts, you know, depending on where I was writing it. But it, it was so healing for me. As soon as a feeling came up, like, oh God, where's this coming from? Or a memory came up, you're like, oh my gosh. Because you know how that happens where you stop drinking and all of a sudden you remember something from like six years ago mm-hmm. that I don't know how that works, but it like starts unlocking all of these things, you, you know, have maybe blacked out. And, and as I was doing EMDR and, and all of these, um, you know, in, in therapy, working with a therapist and talking through things, these things that would come up, I, I would have to just sit them down immediately. So I used my phone a lot. I would send messages to myself, mm-hmm. voice memos. You know, I would type, text myself. Um, so little bits of time, honestly. You know, if you can, it's amazing if you can write a hundred words a day, you know, and that adds up. So um, yeah, little, little bits of time. I love that. And I know that our listeners will love that too, because yeah, I think oftentimes, um, you know, you may not want to write your story, but you just want to engage in some kind of creative act. And, um, so it applies really to anything. And of course this, you know, that's what this podcast is about is creativity and recovery. And we have a lot of women that just, yeah, they get sober and they, they, they feel a kind of a creative spark sort of ignite in themselves because that's what happens when we get sober a lot of times. And, um, but then, yeah, just life and parenthood and full-time jobs and all of that. Sometimes you, you, you know, it's hard to find that, that time or, you know, in the periphery of your day. So I know it's just really inspiring when you, when we see like another mom or somebody whose life looks similar to ours that, you know, can actually do that. Are you, are you working on another book? Do you, or do you see yourself writing another book? You know, I'm always writing things. Um, so I don't know. I kind of, I've sort of like let things happen. 
And mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that sounds like very directionless, but I feel like one thing has led me to another thing, to another thing. And, you know, kind of recovery coaching and uh, writing has all led me to, to the next thing. Um, I am doing, I'm doing a Ted talk in October. That's my, oh, that's exciting. My, yeah. It was supposed to be in April, but you know, COVID. Mm-hmm. So it got, <laughs> it got delayed. Um, who knows? It could get delayed again by the time who the heck knows, but um, so that will be cool. And I'm sure that who knows what that will lead to. And um, you know, it, it's definitely, I think this whole quarantine situation has, has made a lot of people reevaluate, like, what can I do? What do I want to do? You know, mm-hmm. if, if I can't do what I was doing before, you know, where can I put my creative energy? And so for me, I've still, I've been doing a lot of writing, a lot of podcasts, which has been so great. Um, I mean, what a perfect thing to do when there's a quarantine, like, and read, right? Right. <laughs> what else do we have to do? <laughs> right. Well, um, so what, what is your TED Talk going to be focused around? Sort of what so, your book Yeah. So it's going to be, you know, we're not supposed to like say titles or anything like that, but you can imagine it will be drinking and parenting focused. Drinking and parenting. Right. Drinking and parenting. And yeah, yeah. And gosh, what a, what a necessary, um, what a, that's an, yeah, that's, and your voice will be very necessary, especially out of coming, coming out of this, um, pandemic. You know, that's one thing I think people are, what I'm hearing anyway from women is, is they're confronted with the fact that, oh, I guess I'm not a social drinker. Right. <laughs> so, left to my social. own, right. Left to my own devices or yeah, yeah. Right. Or I am drinking more than I thought I was or now five o'clock earlier every day and there's no boundary. And, and so I do think that we will see, you know, good and bad. Like I, I do think we'll see people reevaluating they're drinking a little bit more after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I keep thinking about how, um, the effect on mental health is going to have a very long tail. Mm, you yeah. know, we don't know how far out that's going to go for some people. I think it's going to, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be nothing. I know that. Right. Right. And that's where the future focus thing. Sometimes I, I have to not look too far because Mm -hmm. as soon as the school starts contemplating, we may not open for the fall. I'm like, okay, I just have to stop listening now. I can't go that far. Right. I mean, get back into this 24 hours I'm in and this day I can handle. Yeah. 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 That is, that is the, um, right. That is definitely one of the gifts of staying within, you know, within your 24 hours. Where are your feet? Are you okay? All of those, all of those questions that we, you know, learn to ask ourselves in early sobriety. Yeah. Um, I love this. Well, um, so do you have, are you, do you take clients? Um, How can, do people work with you one-on-one? How do you, do you have anything to promote? Um, Yeah. So I do work with women one-on-one and I'm also, um, right now, we've got a free um, Sober Mom Squad. We do a virtual meeting every Wednesday um, at 3 Pacific. And that was honestly something that just kind of came out of this situation and seeing how so many organizations were pivoting and and throwing together these meetings last minute and and hearing from other moms who are like, gosh, I, I love the connection. I love sharing, but I just, 
I need a place to like vent about my mm. very specific mom, momming sober right now with your kids at home. And it's just a very, um, you know, not to be exclusive, but it is a very interesting demographic right now. Um, you know, when, when you are trying to get sober and you, you are used to having time to yourself, you know, dropping your kids off at school or, or going to an office or whatever it is, having the nanny come over, what, you know, wherever you have your own personal space and then kind of being confronted with kids home all the time. It, it is just, it's hard. Um, and so I, me and a couple other gals on, on Instagram were like, well, what do you want to do? Let's do the Zoom call. And we sort of threw this together. And, you know, by the end of a week, like 600 women had just signed up. And oh, that's amazing. So, yeah. So really, I, I think, I think one of the great things about this whole pandemic has been we've seen needs that are not being filled that we're now able to fill. You know, I think there were, there were restrictive um, components to in-person meetings that some people can't get childcare. Some people don't have a meeting close to them You're or a time right of day that they can that. go. You're so right. I think, yeah. I do think we've opened a door to something that we needed in the first place. So I think that's good. Now are these meetings, uh, 12 step meetings or are they just uh, meet like a mutual support type meeting? Yeah, it's just mutual support. And we, you know, any recovery path is welcome. You know, we don't um, criticize any of them, but we don't specifically like, you know, give endorse or, or yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We don't endorse or oppose or any of that. We're just, it's just, we're there. We're a bunch of the only requirements are to be a mom and you're trying to stay sober and sane and safe during this pandemic. And, and that's, that's it. And, you know, so it's, it's just a nice place to share. And, and I think sometimes um, there's this feeling, and I know all moms feel this, um, that if you complain about your kids, you're ungrateful, right? Oh, sure. And so it's hard to, it's hard to, because we're all blessed. We're, we all love our kids. We feel so blessed that we have them. But oh my gosh, like, yeah, it's both and, and that, right. It's both and, and that gets back to that honesty piece. It's like, you Mm -hmm. know, if you're just out there pretending like everything's great, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, it's, it's, it's just not, no one's. Yeah. And it's not putting anyone else down or anyone else's experience. Like I'm not trying to offend people who aren't able to have children because I am annoyed by mine. I'm not trying to say that I wish I hadn't had kids. I just, you know, I, I wanted to provide a safe place, safe space for other moms who need to say, oh my God, I don't understand common core math. And uh, it's oh, making me grief, want to drink, right? right? So it's this new, it's just this, this new situation none of us have ever been in. And it's not sustainable. And how do you get through it without drinking? And especially when we're in, I'm sure you see it, this, this wine mom meme world where it's like, oh, go have your quarantini or ha ha ha, you know, my alcoholic name is my first name and last name in quarantine, or I'm going to come out of this an alcoholic, like all these jokes that are meant to be jokes. And you know what, I like a good joke as much as the next person, but it's very triggering for a lot of people. And, And it makes light of a very serious circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, those kind of things are neutral to me now. Um, but, you know, it doesn't take much digging for me to get back to, <clears throat> especially, you know, like early sobriety where, yeah, I still would have definitely been hung up in that, 
why can they do it and I can't? Why, why, why do they look like they're having a good time? And yet I was always miserable, but it was the only solution I had. Mm-hmm. And just that missing out, like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. missing out. I'm missing out. That's the fun. That's the, that's what I need to be doing. And also the normalization of it. Like, let's be honest, it is not normal to drink every day at 9 a.m. But when oh, you right. see memes about it and you see other moms doing it and you see it on the Today Show, then all of a sudden it's kind of justified. And and so I think that's the part of it that is detrimental and damaging. And yeah, you're right. Like I'm neutral. Like a meme's not going to make me drink, but it certainly, it, those are, those are the things that would have kept me and did keep me where I was for so long because it, it was what I used to justify my own damaging behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. Constantly comparing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I know. Well, how can women find find this meeting? Do you offer a link somewhere or is Yeah, it... it's just on my website. So uh-huh. um, highlightreallife.com and there's a virtual meetup um, called the Sober Mom Squad. So there's a link right on there and um, you can sign up to get the Zoom link and it's every Wednesday, the one tomorrow. And um, well, I guess this is not going to be recorded on, or this isn't going to be played. Right. But day, with, so yeah, it'll, it will it'll... be this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Do you think you, you guys will keep going or you're not just, you're not looking that far, far into the future? Like how far you know, do you think you'll take this? Yeah. I mean, initially um, the thought was, okay, through April, mm-hmm. but the, the response has been so great that, you know, we're just, we're kind of keeping going. We're, we're kind of taking it week by week and, mm-hmm. you know, people are really loving the connection. And again, I, I do think it has filled a need because there's always moms there who their little kids are around, you know, with them and they wouldn't be able to go to any kind of meeting with their kids. So, mm-hmm. um, I do feel, I, I do feel like we'll keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. Tammy and I started a Sunday, uh, zoom meeting for women in our secret Facebook group, our secret Facebook unruffled group. And yeah, we kind of came to the same thing. It's like everybody, everyone has appreciated it so much because, yeah, that's the reality. Not everyone does 12 step or, you know, if they, if they tried it, it didn't work out for them because maybe they had young kids or, you know, other life circumstances that it didn't work out for them. But, um, but yeah, we've talked about that too. It's like, we'll just keep going as long as everyone wants to show up and everyone's like loving it so much, just an opportunity to just drop in and, you know, be honest and share where you are and, you know, there's been victories and people, women thriving and tears and anger and all of it, you know, it's all welcome. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, so, so I mentioned your, um, website and they can go to your website to, and this all be in the show notes as well. They can uh, go, that's where you, um, elicit, um, clients as well for your recovery coaching. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And now did I see that you're working with Laura McCowan as well? Yes, I am. I am um, uh, helping fill in uh, meetings for her as well. That's great with her. Um, um, Cause she was offering, who? she's offering meetings too, or she's do she moved it over to a subscription. Yeah. Thing? Yeah. It's called the luckiest club. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We love Laura here at the Unruffle too. That's so, yeah. that's great. Um, okay. 
Well, Emily, this is the part, this is the part of the show that we um, ask our guests to share three things from your Unruffled Toolbox. And these are things that are tools that help you stay sober or they help with your creativity or, uh, you know, all, both the, all the above. What do you have mm-hmm. for us? So my first thing, and these are probably things you hear all the time, but the first thing is the journal. So every day I write down three things I'm grateful for. And then I always have it with me during the day so that, again, like I said earlier, you know, anything that comes up for me, anything that I remember, anything that, you know, triggers me or, um, you know, it happens less and less these days, but in early sobriety, it was like, I would remember something um, from the past or have some sort of trauma response to something. And I would write it down or text it to myself. Um, and, And then any negative thoughts I have that come up, um, write them down and then acknowledge them and work through them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's say for example, I like put on a pair of jeans and they're too tight or whatever, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I go to that place where I work through it. Okay. These jeans are too tight. All right. That doesn't mean, okay, I'm a loser and I'm fat. Like what, what else can we say about this? Like the jeans are just too tight, you know, working right. through things and, and just having no emotion attached to them. And getting them out and moving on. Like that's what's been so important in my recovery is just noticing and not doing anything about it. Like you mm-hmm. don't have to do anything about it. So for me, the journal is like, it's like my little Bible I carry around. Mm, that's um, a good one. And then the second thing is being a service, which again is very, you know, comes from AA, but, but really even just, just being um, for other people. And sure, it can be like doing recovery coaching, that's really why I, I kind of found myself in recovery coaching because I found that I loved serving other people. Like I got so much out of it and, and it can be just sharing stories, whether it's your own story, you write an Instagram post or, or commenting on someone else's Instagram post, like in solidarity it can be just as little as that, a 20 second, um, you know, 20 seconds of your time to just again, put yourself out there and, and, um, you know, that is being, being there for someone. And even <laughs> this one as a mom, like being there for my kids, even when I don't understand and don't necessarily want to be like mm-hmm. my kids crying because, you know, of something ridiculous, like we're out of Cheerios. I mean, the last thing I want to do is like, I mean, like, are you kidding me? You're crying about Cheerios, but just sitting there, just being there and not not saying it's okay that you're crying about it, not saying that it's not okay, but you're sad and I'm here. Mm. And just being like, that's, that's something that that's, that's huge for me is not trying to fix things, but just trying to be there. And, and so that's, for me, that's being of service is just being with my kids, with my friends, with my clients, whoever it is. Mm, that's a good one. And then three, and you probably hear this all the time too, is meditation. And this is not something that came easily to me and it still doesn't come easy to me and that's something I like to tell people too it's like I still force myself to do it still it's not a natural thing for me to go inward and and be quiet and like that's not how I am hardwired and so I I do it just like I make myself brush my teeth every day just something that I have to do but it's not automatic and um but I know yeah it's easier it gets easier but, but it's still not natural for me. And I do it because I know it's beneficial. Um, even if it's just a couple of minutes 
Um, it's just something that I really can center myself and I know that, that it helps. So mm. that's my, my third tool. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, is it part, like, do you do it at the same time every day? Is it part of a particular routine that you have? I try to do it in the morning. Like I try and do the gratitude journal and meditation in the morning. Sometimes it just can't happen. The dog needs to go out or a kid, you know, I slept in, whatever. Like there's always something. So I just, um, again, I try not to make it too regimented mm-hmm. um, so that I don't set myself up for being disappointed or anything. I just make sure and, and do it. Um, and meditation can be something too that I do. I mean, I'm not driving a lot now, but I used to find myself doing it in the car a lot. If right. I would drop the kids off for school or if I'm at a red light, I mean, it's something you can really do everywhere. Um, even before I get on a call or a podcast or anything, I just, I take a few deep centering breaths and it can, it can be as simple as that. So, um, there's not, I don't necessarily have a routine around it, but I I just try and incorporate it every day. Right. Like just kind of taking some time to be mindful and, and kind of centered. Yeah. 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 I love that. That, um, yeah. Meditation is a, hot topic, isn't it? Like it comes up all the time and, and everyone feels like they're doing it wrong or, you know, can I call this meditate? Can I call this walk a meditation? Can I, uh-huh. you know, is it have to be like, a, you know, sitting on a pillow with your eyes closed and, um, and, and you're right. It doesn't, it can just be, um, having a mindful moment. I think mm-hmm. even yeah. if it's you while you're doing the dishes. which I'm doing all the time, which we've (laughs) talked about that before we started recording, but yes, (laughs) come full circle. Uh, yes, I'm sure everyone can relate, but those dishes just keep coming. Don't they? (laughs) They do never end. (laughs) Well, Emily, this was a delight and I'm so glad that we got to make this happen. I'm so glad you took the time out. I know that, you know, it's hard right now. There's nowhere to go. There's no quiet moment really, but I'm glad that you found one today for us. And, um, I just really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. It's been great talking to you. All right. Take care. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.